Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Speak the Truth podcast. Today's episode is being sponsored by Atlas VPN. Thank you, Atlas, for sponsoring today's episode. Now, a couple of main stories we're going to be going over today. One, the Israeli Defense Force actually shot and killed three hostages being held by Hamas. How the hell could that happen? Well, we're going to go over it and we're going to talk about it today because I don't think it is what is actually being portrayed out in the media. Additionally, it looks like the Houthi rebels have stepped up and started targeting even more ships inside of the Red Sea, firing multiple drones and missiles at them over the last 48 hours. They actually struck two of the ships, causing massive fires. Fortunately, zero casualties were actually reported. Now, what the hell is the United States government and CENTCOM going to be doing about that? Because they're targeting all ships. One of the ships targeted yesterday was going on its way to Saudi Arabia for crying out loud, not even to Israel. Then I'm going to give you a bit of a frontline update, and then we're going to go into some school teacher that got fired in Florida because she decided to make a bunch of pro-Hamas rants on social media, and she thinks it's unfair. So yesterday on December 15th, the IDF came out and actually admitted to shooting three hostages in a combat operation. How in the world could this happen? Let's talk about it. First, we're going to refer to the IDF and their official statement that they put out on Twitter. During combat in Shijaya, the IDF mistakenly identified three Israeli hostages as a threat and, as a result, fired toward them and the hostages were killed. So that'll tell you right there, the IDF was in combat and they were doing a clearing operation. These hostages had somehow gotten out. They moved towards the IDF and they shot and killed them. Now, the bodies were transferred to the Israeli territory for examination where it was confirmed that they were, in fact, the three hostages. They have now identified every single hostage uh, from there and notified the families. Their names are up for uh, in, in these descriptions. If you want to go to the IDF website, you can find them. Now, quickly, the IDF came out and they made a bunch of public statements talking about um, how they were misidentified, how they were shot, uh, apologized to families, went personally spoke with the families, and they even went so far as to launch a preliminary investigation to which they gathered the information up and they passed it out to the rest of their force, essentially for lessons learned. Now, the pro-Palestinian side of the house is looking at this incident and saying, this is a clear example of Israelis just shooting at every single thing and killing every single person that they come across, including their own hostages. Now, IDF spokesperson decided to go on a uh, talk, or excuse me, a podcast yesterday and disclose kind of how he felt that this could have happened. I'm going to pull it up on your screen. You're going to be able to watch it. Let's listen to it together. Horrible day. Uh, you're right, Rosie. It was a tragic event. Uh, we're in fight. We're fighting right now very extensively, uh, also in Sajaya and also in Jabalia. These are, we're fighting against terrorists who are fighting on sadly and tragically also in civilian clothes. Uh, they're not wearing full kit. Uh, three people uh, approached our forces and uh, they were misidentified or they were ab abandoned or they got away. This is the nature of this uh, horrible, horrible conflict of uh, fighting a army or the Hamas who are not behaving like an army. They're fighting us with jeans and T-shirts. Tragic event, Rosie. So that is more or less the official statement that comes out of Israel, that it's a tragic event, they were misidentified, and they were shot and killed. They are full-heartedly admitting to this mistake of what actually happened. Now, some very key words that he actually said in there is that they don't know how those hostages actually got out. Now, understanding that this was a combat operation, it starts to give you a little bit more appreciation for what was going on the ground and how that could have actually happened. Again, 
Hamas is known for using suicide bombers. There is a well-known video where one of the leaders of Hamas is actually saying, we just built a new suicide belt factory and we will use them and you are prepared to give your lives. So this is a very known well tactic for Hamas fighters. We've seen this in multiple terrorist organizations, even in my combat deployments fighting terror abroad. I mean, I've seen it in everything from uh, homemade explosives shoved in bicycles to suicide vests to, I mean, uh, dead animal. I mean, you name it. They have thought of it and they will employ it. So just because somebody has their shirt off, and the reason I'm telling you this is because it's important for some of the things that I'm about to go over, just because they had their shirt off doesn't necessarily mean that they were not a threat at that time. Just because they had a white flag doesn't mean they were not a threat at that time. These are all common tactics that terrorists will use in order to get closer to troops in order to kill or maim them. Now, there is multiple unconfirmed reports that are floating around online saying that these hostages did, in fact, again, they were unconfirmed, okay, saying that these hostages did, in fact, have their shirts removed and they were waving white flags. I find that very hard to believe. The way I see this going down, to give you my actual perspective from multiple years in combat fighting against terror, the way I actually see this going down is that the IDF was in sustained engagements with Hamas. They were zeroing in on the hostages. They knew where they were located, and they were moving in towards them. Hamas became overwhelmed with the IDF troops on the ground. They did receive IDF troops were in sustained contact with Hamas at the time, more than likely. Okay, so you had gunfights going on, likely bombs being dropped. You had just chaos on the ground. And then out of the building, from where Hamas is located, you have three people emerge. Now, those three people likely emerged because Hamas fighters were either killed or they had just lost control of the situation and the hostages managed to escape and get away. And the safest place for those hostages to go, in their mind, is towards the IDF. But what they don't take an account of is how the IDF is actually feeling at the time because they're in sustained contact. They move out of the buildings and start moving towards IDF troops. Now, do I really think that they had the ability to grab a white flag? No, I don't. I don't think they had the forethought of that. I don't think they had the ability to do it at the time, especially if they were in sustained contact, IDF troops shooting towards them, everything else, and they go out on the street and start moving towards IDF. IDF sees three people begin to rush towards them coming out of the building, and they shoot them. Now, this is a decision that was likely made by a combat soldier on the ground, likely an infantryman somewhere around the age of 20 years old who has been overwhelmed with the situation. And the more you start to appreciate and understand that, the more you actually start to understand the decisions these soldiers are making, which in an instant go from life or death. If I don't pull the trigger and these people get closer to me, they're running at me. What is the odds that they detonate? Again, they're in sustained contact. What are the odds that those individuals detonate? That's what's going through their mind. Not shooting indiscriminately, not targeting anything that runs, but people that are moving towards them. It's not a rational thing that most combatants would do is run towards, because again, in the eyes of these Israelis, they've got Hamas terrorists inside of a building. They're shooting at them to stay in contact, and now you have people running towards them. That's not a normal reaction. So when they see that, they think in their mind, this is what's happening. And for the protection of them and their friends, they open fire. Now, with that being said, that soldier that actually pulled that trigger is going to be living that moment over and over again for the rest of their lives. It's, in no way do I think that that soldier is happy about what took place. And if anything, is just pissed off at the situation as a whole. Nonetheless, I think it's important to show you guys this next video because it does lend some credence to how a lot of the hostages might or might not be feeling. The, the main thing is the families were extremely angry at Netanyahu 
But the reasons are really important. They were basically saying, look, our family members are in Gaza, either in homes or in tunnels, and they are more scared of dying from Israeli shelling than from Hamas. In fact, one uh, quote was pretty shocking. One of the people that met with Netanyahu was a captive who had just been released. She said, the feeling we had there was that no one was doing anything for us. The fact is I was in a hiding place that was shelled by the Israeli army and we had to be smuggled out while we were wounded. Not to mention the helicopter, the Israeli Apache helicopter that shot at us on the way to Gaza as she was being abducted. Then she says, you claim that there is intelligence like about where the captives are being held. She's saying this to Netanyahu. But the fact is that we are being shelled. Then she says, my husband was separated from us three days before we were released and he was taken to the tunnels uh, underneath Gaza. And then she says to Netanyahu, and now you are talking about flooding the tunnels with seawater. So let's unpack that for a minute here. Her being a hostage and feeling like nothing's being done to help them. Um, having been in a similar scenario in a training environment, I can tell you that it absolutely does feel like that that you are isolated, that all of those feelings that she held were very valid, um, not knowing what's going on on the outside because she is isolated by Hamas from everyone else in the actual world to know what's going on. Obviously, we've seen videos on this podcast of the IDF doing their best to blast out information so that the hostages could hear it to know that they're coming. And what a comfort originally that must have felt like knowing that the IDF was actually coming into the Gaza Strip and then you have munitions falling all around you. Yeah, no shit. Most people would feel like they're 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 under threat from the IDF and they feel like they're going to get killed. The intelligence that she talks about where she says the IDF has intelligence, that's pretty easily explainable because Hamas isn't going to sit in one location. They're going to continue to move from building to building, tunnel to tunnel, just like she described. How they separated her husband, moved him down to a tunnel, and then likely moved her somewhere else. So again, just because the IDF has intelligence, that's why it's such a sensitive situation. Of course, they're going to be bombing Hamas targets. What do you think is around those hostages? Likely other Hamas targets. And so in her mind, what she's hearing is shelling coming in and worrying about whether or not those shells are going to strike her position. Having received a lot of indirect fire myself, I can definitely empathize with that feeling. I understand what that feels like to not know whether or not that shell is going to strike you. It sucks. However, and I, and, and I state this, however, it was never the intent of the Israeli army to do that. And they're clearly going out looking for the hostages as we speak, albeit human beings do make mistakes. We're not perfect. That statement within itself of how those hostages are feeling is very telling. It's very telling of what they're going through. It's very telling of the information that they're receiving and likely the mental warping that's going on amongst them. Not, not amongst the hostages, but it's just a, a product of their environment from how they're being held. With the war raging all around them, you can't blame the hostages for feeling that way. And of course they're concerned about it. I would be concerned about it. Anybody with a, a reasonable mind would be concerned about it. But one thing is absolutely for certain is that if Hamas holds on to these hostages long enough, they're all going to die. As a matter of fact, they did release a video that I won't even entertain in playing because it's so damn graphic that essentially shows a, a, a countdown clock threatening every Israeli that has hostages currently in their possession. There's lots of videos that have been circulating that show Hamas executing hostages. Hamas themselves, one of their spokespersons, had said it doesn't matter how many they have, and does, he doesn't even know how many they have alive. So IDF needs to get a hold of them, and unfortunately they're conducting war. And just like I said, in warfare, where you have collateral damage, 
of the Palestinian civilians, hostages also are included in that. They very well may be collateral damage. But you have to weigh the benefit and say, is it okay if I continue to conduct combat operations in this area in an attempt to get these hostages back versus just allowing them to die at the hands of Hamas, which is inevitable? So I think the Israeli government is still making the correct decisions and still pushing forward. And those feelings that the hostages have, while valid given the situation that they were in, are not absolutely correct. Now I want to talk to you guys about something that is of some pretty significant importance. Now, if you're like me and you do a lot of traveling abroad, you're going to want to have Atlas VPN. And right now with Atlas VPN, you can enjoy the most affordable online protection for just $1.70 per month plus six months extra with a 30-day money-back guarantee. This is more than just a VPN. It blocks all the malicious links, ads, trackers, and notifies you when someone is trying to steal your data. But it's more than just protection while you are traveling abroad. If you can't access friends or other legendary shows on your Netflix while being abroad, it's not a problem anymore. Atlas VPN has got you covered. If you're looking for something on Google with Atlas VPN, you can just search the web with real and organic search results and do it without tracking your activity. Enjoy the Christmas discount because now Atlas VPN Premier is just $1.70 per month plus six months extra with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your privacy and get many benefits of Atlas VPN for the ridiculously low price. You can take this deal by clicking the link in the video description below. Be quick as it is a limited time offer. Again, I was traveling abroad quite a bit and I still do to this day and I always use Atlas VPN. And it is the best protection that you can get, hands down. And it's super important when you're traveling through an airport, man-in-the-middle attacks will get you every single time if you are not protected. Again, enjoy the Christmas discount because now Atlas VPN Premium is just $1.70 a month, guys, plus six months extra with 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your privacy and get many benefits of Atlas VPN for the ridiculously low price, you can take this deal just by clicking the link in the video description below. Be quick, because it's a limited time offer. Thank you again to Atlas VPN for sponsoring this video. Now, I pulled up over on your screen here, this lady, Syrian girl. If you've seen her on Twitter, she is an absolute POS, in my opinion. She puts out a lot of uh, just propaganda, which is beyond all belief, right? But and I can also appreciate and understand from her perspective of why she sees things this way. Now, let's take a look at this video that she posted. She says, this is what genocide looks like. This used to be a city of skyscrapers. Now, I don't think this particular area was a city of skyscrapers, but let's take a look regardless. Now, I will tell you from my personal experience of combat, especially when I was fighting against ISIS, I, I, I wish I could take those videos and show them up here on your screen. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to. Okay. However, I promise you the terrain in which we were fighting ISIS looked very similar to that. And it wasn't because we indiscriminately carpet bombed the area. I walked through that place and I remember the thoughts in my head of being like, Jesus, this looks like pictures of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like everything is just leveled. It looks like hell on earth. But also I know a lot of those airstrikes that were called in, not even a lot, all of the airstrikes that were called in were against legitimate military targets. And again, it happened to level every single structure in the area that I was operating in. Every single structure looked exactly like that. 
Why do I bring that up? Why do I tell you that? Because when you see videos like this, it's really easy to look at and assume that the IDF is carpet bombing things. When in fact, in reality, a lot of those buildings, a lot of that terrain was being used by Hamas fighters. Guys, it's it's not like this is an isolated incident. I just told you about the United States government doing this stuff. Me, I was working for the United States government and we did this when we were in active combat, not committing genocide, actually fighting enemy combatants. I can pull up videos from Ukraine and show you how structures look exactly the same way. A lot of you guys have followed this channel for a while. You know over in Ukraine, particularly in a lot of the smaller villages, they get leveled like this. Nobody's carpet bombing the area. They're all legitimate military targets. They're being called in and civilian structures do get damaged. It is a byproduct of war. And people that don't understand war would like to continue to tell you that it's genocide. And it's simply not true. So with that being said, let's take a look at what some of the combat fighting actually does look like that the IDF is going through. And again, I'm pointing out that even though they're clearly in contact here, they're not leveling every building. The MLRS. Guys, war's chaotic. I don't know how else to describe that to you. It's just chaotic. They're not leveling every building in the Gaza Strip. You just saw that video. But certain areas of the city, certain areas of Gaza, absolutely have been leveled. And they get leveled because of enemy contact. They get leveled because of the amount of fighting that's taking place. It's ridiculous to state anything otherwise. Let's go over and let's talk about the Houthis for a minute and what actually has been transpiring over the last 24-ish hours. Okay. U.S. CENTCOM released a statement that describes three different ships being targeted by Houthi rebels. One ship had zero munitions at it. Two ships actually had drones shot at it. Both ships that had munitions shot at it actually got hit and caught fire. Now, there was no casualties reported. However, this has been an ongoing issue, and it looks like it's actually getting worse. Here's a statement released by U.S. CENTCOM. Describes it in detail. Here's another Statement being released by U.S. CENTCOM, again, dealing with Houthi rebels coming out of Yemen. This one's today, the one before it was from yesterday. Those two ships from yesterday, or excuse me, those three ships from yesterday were all traveling in international waters. Houthi rebels end up uh, calling the first ship and letting them know that they're going to get targeted if they don't change their course of action. So they're forced to change their course. Two other ships end up actually getting targeted and struck. This is a big issue. It's a big issue that nobody wants to talk about. And when I see other people reporting on this, they talk about the Houthi rebels like they're nobody. Guys, they shot a ballistic missile into outer space in an attempt to target Israel. Another ballistic missile that they shot at Israel did in fact impact Israeli territory down near the Egyptian border. A lot of them have been shot. A lot of them get shot down. And this statement that came out by U.S. CENTCOM yesterday 
14 unmanned aerial systems launched as a drone wave from the Houthi-controlled area of Yemen. The UAS were assessed to be one-way attack drones and were shot down with no damage to ships in the area reporting injuries. So zero injuries being reported. But 14 different attack drones shot yesterday out of Yemen. It's ships traveling in international waters. Do yourself a favor, go over and look. People want to know why the hell is the United States government not doing anything about this? I've showed you before on this podcast that we have a U.S. military installation less than 100 miles from Houthi territory. And yet the United States government has yet to do a damn thing about this. Over in Iraq and over in Syria, U.S. forces have been targeted over 100 times since the start of this conflict. And who is behind all of it? Iran. Iran's behind every single bit of this, and yet nothing's been done towards them. Yeah, a couple airstrikes have been called in over in Syria against some of their munitions depots. But as a whole, we haven't really done shit since Soleimani got schwacked years ago. And I think the United States people are a little bit fed up with it, and it's time that we actually answer this crap back. No, I'm not talking about getting drug into another war, but a statement, a freaking action that shows the Iranian government, that we're not going to put up with this crap anymore. Lastly, I want to bring up this because it's floating around quite a bit and it's just driving me insane. Here we go with CNN again. Palestinian student was expelled from a Florida high school after his mother made pro-Palestinian posts on social media. Now, CNN does a breakdown and tells you how this kid wasn't involved. They're going to talk about his mom actually working at the school as a tutor and that the mom gets fired and then the son gets kicked out of the school. Because she made pro-Palestinian statements. Even in the school's own statement, they said they considered, um, I can't even pronounce her name, Almasri's social media post to be hateful and incendiary. Hateful and incendiary. We viewed some of the individual's posts, including, for example, an image of a soldier pointing a machine gun at an infant inside of an incubator and an image with commentary suggesting that some wanted to roast babies in an oven. All crap that this lady that worked for the school put on social media, on her Instagram account. I tried to find her Instagram account, couldn't find it. Don't know if it got yanked down, don't know what happened. If you have it, by all means, please share it. Put it in the freaking descriptions below. Uh, Freaking hit me up on IG. Let me know. Anyways, I had to dig a little bit deeper because this CNN article was clearly a little bit off. Now, I did dig in a little bit deeper. Turns out, this is a private school. This is not a public institution. It's a private school. You can go over to the website. You can check it out. It's a private school all the way down in Florida. Private school. And this lady that works for the school absolutely signed documents and paperwork saying she can't do crap like this. And she did it. So, of course, she gets let go. But the question really is, is how inflammatory was it? So, I found this other article by the Daily Express. And if you dig down into it, oh, stop it. If you dig down into it. Uh, you actually do see one of her other statements that she made. She posted headlines about the deaths of children in Gaza in the ongoing Israel-Hamas war, including uh, one post with the caption, what happened on October 7th didn't come out of nowhere. She is doing her best to support Hamas and keep her job. Of course, the school has every single right to fire. So when you have a lady that works for your school that's putting out inflammatory statements saying what happened on October 7th didn't come out of nowhere, That's her belief. And then she has a child that's also at that school. Yeah, it's a security concern for the other parents in that school. If my kids were in that school, I'd want her ass fired and I'd want her son kicked out too because it's a private institution. Funny, CNN decided to leave that statement out of their article. Didn't find it inside of it. Now, taking a look over what ISW has for us for your Israeli frontline update, Iran backed fighters, including Lebanese Hezbollah, conducted 11 attacks from southern Lebanon into Israel. 11 along the border. And like I told you guys, if you remember, keep in mind, along that northern border, January 4th is the rumored date that Israel is going to target 
Hezbollah inside of Lebanon. They're actually going to attack. That's what the rumor on this route is, that the Israeli Defense Force is going to attack Hezbollah inside of Iran. Hezbollah has rumored to be around 150,000 fighters. I don't think they have 150,000 on the border, but they definitely have over 100,000 in that near area. They pretty much control that country. They have more fighters in Hezbollah than the Lebanese military has, which is right around 60,000. That is going to be a big deal when it pops off. Al-Quds over in Janine continue to launch more attacks. IDF knocked out of headquarters over in the Gaza Strip. Looking down at the actual map of Gaza itself, we can see that not a lot of territorial uh, gains have been made or switched over, but you can clearly see the IDF is closing in and encircling Gaza City. They're about to touch tips over here along the eastern front, completely encircling Gaza City itself. Down in the south, to continue to have heavy battles in Khan Yunus. No real territorial changes have been made down there. Let's take a closer look. Again, if we zoom in on Khan Yunus, you can see not a lot of significant territorial gains have been made and heavy fighting has been taking place in the center of the city. You can see the IDF did punch through further from the east and is now opening up a whole other front pushing into the eastern part of Khan Yunus. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys. Um, I'm going to be kicking out more daily episodes here in the very near future, um, and I hope you guys do enjoy these. I've heard you talking and I've heard you saying in the comment section that you want more daily short videos. I am going to be doing my best to spit that information out to you in shorter videos. So look forward to those coming in the next week to two weeks. I'll start cranking more of those out for you. Thank every single one of you for being a true supporter coming over. If you haven't joined our live sessions yet, I highly suggest you get in there. We've had many conversations with a lot of people that are pro Hamas and I'm going to start debating these people like it's going out of style because I'm sick of their bullshit. Another thing that's in the future coming up for you is a Matt's Rants compilation video. I know a lot of you guys have been asking for those, I'm going to kick you out some Matt Ramp compilation videos. So look out for those in the future as well. Thank every single one of you. Peace, love, happiness. God bless. Stay safe. I'm out.